The Brooklyn Vegan Show is a podcast about music brought to you by the music blog and online record store Brooklyn Vegan. Make sure to subscribe to hear all of our upcoming episodes featuring interviews with musicians and more, and find us 24-7 at brooklynvegan.com, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Hey, welcome to the new episode of The Brooklyn Vegan Show. I'm BV editor Andrew Sacker, and today's episode is an interview with Dan Campbell, vocalist of The Wonder Years. I caught up with Dan ahead of the release of the band's seventh album, The Hum Goes On Forever, which comes out this Friday, September 23rd, via Hopeless Records. It's the band's first album in four years, and first since Dan became a father, and themes of fatherhood are reflected all over this record. Dan sings about the anxieties that accompany fatherhood, dealing with your own mental health while needing to provide for a new person's life, and much more. It's a very intense album lyrically, as every Wonder Years album is, and Dan really digs into the lyrical content throughout this conversation. We also talk about how the genre of this album is very much just the Wonder Years. If you're unfamiliar with the band, they started to break in the early 2010s as part of a new generation of pop-punk bands who took the pop-punk sound of the late 90s and early 2000s and said, hey, this isn't a watered-down version of punk rock. This is a valid subgenre in its own right, and we're going to write passionate, powerful, emotional music that reflects that. The Wonder Years were one of the best to do it, and as they went on, they continued to carve their own path, and at this point, there's no other band that sounds like them, and this album really reflects that. It takes cues from their early days, as well as the departures they made later on, and it brings it all together in a very exciting, fascinating, impactful way. It's a truly great record, and I cannot recommend it enough. Dan also reflects on the Wonder Years' early days as the band recently wrapped up touring, celebrating the 10th anniversaries of their breakthrough records, The Upsides and Suburbia, I've Given You All and Now I'm Nothing. He talks about how the music from that era relates to him now. He tells stories from back then and much more. Also in our conversation, we talk about the Wonder Years' upcoming tour with Fireworks, who are in the midst of making a comeback, something that Dan is very excited about, and he talks a little bit about that. We talk about the upcoming festival when we were young, and much more. It was a very fun chat, and here it is. Welcome. Thanks for coming on the show, Dan. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, totally. Uh, What's going on? How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Just hanging out. Um... If you hear stomping upstairs, it's my kids uh, eating lunch and running around. And um, but yeah, I'm generally uh, having a good day. Awesome. How about you? Uh, I'm all right. Yeah, it's a you know busy at work, regular day. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the the last time we spoke, which was technically over email, was December of 2019, when the Wonder Years were putting out your second acoustic EP. Uh, a lot's changed since then, huh? Yeah, sure has. Um, like, uh, there's been an entire uh, global plague. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, basically, everything's changed since then. <laughs> totally. Um, I mean, I know this is like kind of a cliche question for interviews now, but like, you know, I mean, the Wonder Years had plans in 2020. What was kind of the mindset within the band? I mean, I know you, you made the best of it. You did a bunch of live streams, put out some songs. But uh, when that hit, you know, like what what were those conversations like? Well, at first it was like the, you know, we were one of the bands and there were a lot of them, but not, you know, not everybody's on tour 
in March, right? That's like kind of like a little bit of a lull season. People start going out in March, but we started toward February. And so um, there were a lot of conversations as the tour progressed where it was like, at first it was like, oh, ha, 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 there's this, there's this thing and people are worried, but like this happens every couple years, right? Swine flu all over again. And then it was like, is Nick sick? <laughs> and like, but like, you know, American healthcare, Nick is really sick. And actually so are all the Spanish love songs and they're getting, but there's no test for COVID at this point. Um, and so Spanish love songs like just didn't play like two shows. And like Nick with his like, again, incredible American healthcare here um, called his doctor and they were like, yeah, sounds like the flu. Just uh, take this. And he's like, can I go see someone? And they're like, no, you're not covered for that. <laughs> so um, we don't know how, uh, many people had COVID on the tour. We know that, um, the person doing merch for pool kids after the tour ended up really sick, um, ended up in the hospital for a long period of time. Um, and some other people, sorry, Steve Evans is calling me weird timing. Um, <laughs> and so, but you know, as the tour progressed, it was like, okay, is this getting serious? Okay. Is this getting scary? Okay. Should we be canceling shows? Okay. We're going to cancel shows. But it was like the way it was presented to us and to everybody else was like, well, you know, if everyone goes home and sits in their house for two weeks, the virus won't have anywhere to go and we'll be done with it, um, which was like a gross and now hilarious oversimplification of like, um, you know, virology. And so we actually rescheduled those tour dates for May of that year. And then um, within like a week, we we're like, oh, shit, that's not going to happen. So we rebooked them for July of that year, um, which sounds equally as stupid now. <laughs> and we kept holding our dates for October 2020. And then October got pushed to February and February got pushed to August and August got pushed to October and October got pushed to February. Um, we finally went back on tour February 22. Yeah. No, I remember those days. It was like, I remember the first time that all the venues in New York kind of shut down and everybody's posting these things like, we'll, we'll see you in April. <laughs> you know, and it was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember I bought one of the Oxford pennants um, together. We'll see this through banners to hang in my window. And I was walking past my house, like, you know, early 2022. And I was like, motherfucker, we still have not seen this through. Oh man. <laughs> when are we going to see it through Oxford? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it is. I mean, even it feel even now I don't feel ready to say we're on the other side, you know, it's more, it's better, but yeah, no, absolutely. And it's coming. I mean, yeah it's cool like to have vaccines like that's cool to be you know afforded some protection and like obviously we all are smart enough to know now that being vaccinated doesn't mean you don't get it it means you won't die from it um but that's a nice thing to have right especially like my kids got their first doses and like that's cool to know that they're like a little safer when they go to school it's like a nice a nice thing and we also obviously we know you know mitigation techniques that we can use and we've toured pretty successfully um we did a 39 day no 39 show 30 person full u.s tour when omicron was really like driving cases way way up and no one on the tour got COVID. we were testing consistently towards the end every person on the entire tour had to take a test all in one day to get into canada 30 for 30 negatives and so just like being careful is effective being vaccinated is effective and that's what we did. That's great. That's like, that's amazing that you did that whole tour with nobody got sick. Yeah. I mean, we were, it, that would, I think what it takes is like buy-in from the entire tour. It's like, Hey, everybody, the most important thing here is that we play all these shows, which means like you can't go to the bar. 
Like, and I know mm-hmm. that touring is fun, but like people want to see you play. Let's play for them. Like that's, let's make that the number one priority over everything else. And, uh, and when everyone holds that together, you know, it, it's possible. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so on your recent tour, you kind of celebrated somewhat belatedly at this point because of COVID the 10th anniversaries of the upsides in suburbia. Um, and I know you did some reissues too. Um, and it's kind of crazy to think like when those records were coming out, I feel like it was like, Oh, you know, like if you're like nostalgic for like newfound glory and starting line or something like here's a new band. And then now those are the records people are nostalgic for. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, um, it's one of those things I never really come to terms with is that like the way that I thought about like the get up kids is the way mm-hmm. that some people think about us. And like, it takes a lot for me to like put that in my head because like, I'm still just a fan. Um, like that's like kind of what I, I think I am that more than I am like the person on stage. I think I mm-hmm. like, um, maybe am more commiserative towards that like viewpoint. And so, yeah, like I think that the thing that always, and I've, I've said this a ton of times, is probably like well-tread territory in interviews, but like the thing that really like gets me is that um, I think about like the when I would find a new song that I would love and I would get excited to go to school tomorrow because I was going to drive to school and I was going to listen to that song like on repeat or that record on repeat when I got there. And then in between classes, I was going to slip my headphones in in the hallways and try to listen to like 30 seconds of it. And then as soon as I got out of school, I would get excited to turn it back on with my friends and like scream it while we were driving home. And, and I was like, oh shit, people do that with our band. Like that for some reason is still the coolest thing to me over everything else, over all of the travel and all of the, you know, the record sales and the big shows and everything is like, the fact that like we could be the the best part of someone's day um, is like a really cool thing that I, I can never quite get over. Yeah, no, I mean, I get that and very relatable. I mean, you know, absolutely the Wonder Years are that kind of band for me, a lot of people I know. So when you went on stage playing those records, um, like the band has changed so much over the years. The music has evolved. You're different as people. What was it like for you to kind of get on the road and do full sets with those songs again? Part of it was like, it was almost relieving to play the songs because I had been listening to them for months leading up to it to like get ready. Um, And, you know, this is a bit of an aside, but like I'm 36 now. So in order to do two hours of like, you know, high tempo, like full energy songs like that, like I had like physically prepare. So I was like, Every day I would ride an exercise bike while singing through the set to work on my breath control while I'm like out of breath. So I would get to 20 miles an hour and then sing through the songs at like, my neighbors must've been so confused, <laughs> just full volume. But, um, but the thing I was most excited about was that like my voice sounded good because like I go back and listen to those records. And I'm like, Oh man, I really wish I knew how to sing in 2010. <laughs> like, wouldn't it have been cool if we could have recorded these songs? And I mean, that's kind of the charm of it too. But I'm sure that mm-hmm. everyone had that feeling of like, man, I'm playing these or I'm singing these like so much better than I did on the actual record. Like, you know, that's, it's kind of nice to, to do some of the stuff like that justice. Yeah. I mean, I think that was what was cool about those. I think it was two songs that you put out like around this that were like of that style, but recorded recently 
And it was like, oh yeah, like it sounds like old Wonder Years, but your voice sounds the way it sounds now. And like the band is as tight as they are now. And like it was. Yeah. And then that was really the goal with it was to go back. I mean, the one song out of my feet is literally like, I went back to, uh, in an old hard drive to like, cause we were putting together demos for the, the reissue too. And I'm going through all these old demos and like all these old voice notes and just kind of these interesting, like how it got made pieces that ended up on the fourth disc of that like box set. And I found this demo that never got finished and it's just the verse of out of my feet. And, uh, and that's kind of when the idea struck me. It's like, Oh, we should finish this. Like we should go back because like it really, it only was me and an acoustic guitar just to pitch it to the band and I remember think we were like, it doesn't really have a place on the record. It kind of like fit the same time frame as in like um, some of the other songs on it. It just like didn't. So um, we never ended up making it. And then to go back and like make it and try to put it in that mindset. And the same thing with Breakless, whereas like those were lyrics, you know, some of those were lyrics that I thought about using on the upsides, you know, 10 years before that. I was like, well, let's resurrect those lyrics and just try to write that song finally. Um, I don't know, that was a cooler way to like, there's obviously different things you can do. We've done acoustic versions of things before though. You know, the verse and decay series is us kind of reimagining songs. And so like, we didn't want to do that. And it was like, well, how do we like kind of show our gratitude towards what those records have given us? Um, like in like a new kind of interesting way. And it was like, well, let's try to write more songs for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Was it like, to get back in that headspace, like you you know, that really fast paced, high energy headspace, like a little different from what you're doing now. Was it like awkward at all? Or did it just kind of like flood right back to you? Like felt like the way it used to. It came back pretty fast. What I would mm-hmm. say is awkward is that we were trying to do it early, you know, early COVID. And so I was like, well, how do we do this safely? And so like the first practice I was trying to sing with a mask on, but all you could get then were like the, the cheap paper masks. Um, and so whenever I take a deep breath to hit a note, I'd suck the mask in and like choke on it. <laughs> and then I tried doing it with one of those face shields and that was really uncomfortable. And then we bought a stand up shower tent and we put me inside of this like shower tent to sing. But then like, I was like in a different room and like, I, I didn't feel like I was a part. So that was really difficult, um, to get through that. And that was, we also tried to do that for the beginning of writing Humble Goes On Forever. And it was like, man, this is really fucking hard to write in these like kind of like extra circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, well, being that you are in such a different place in your life now than when you wrote Upsides in Suburbia, um, how do those albums resonate with you today? Um, I mean, I think that they're, they're still cool records. Like I, it's, it's, it's like, it's um, like looking back at a journal. Like if you go through you go to your parents' house and you're like, Oh shit, here's my journal from when I was like 20. Um, it just like happens to be that like it's an audio journal that like some people have heard, <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's uh you know it's more like looking back at old pictures, looking back at a snapshot of yourself, and just being like, oh like the, you know sometimes it's like oh it was cool that we did like this was a really interesting part or like an interesting thing that we did with this song or like oh I do still love that lyric. Some of it is like oh that sucks <laughs> that part is bad. <laughs> I wish that we had done something better there. Um, but a lot of it is just like, isn't it cool that like we built these things together as just a bunch of friends in like a couple of basements and now people love them. Like that's cool. That was, that's the, the main feeling. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, while we're talking about sort of nostalgia, I guess, um, 
one of your upcoming shows this year or three, I guess, is the When We Were Young Festival, um, which I feel like is on social media been coined like the emo nostalgia festival, even though like both headliners are putting out new music new like, records yeah yeah like yeah. and like so like it but and there's a lot of like just, contemporary bands on it and yeah and but i feel like i think a lot of it's the name you know like like if they didn't like no one says riot fest is a nostalgia festival even though it's like a lot of the same bands sure yeah um but there is of course this feeling right that like if you play emo or pop punk or something it's like you grow out of it and then you go back to it like only with a distance of nostalgia which i think we wouldn't be having this conversation if either of us agreed with that. <laughs> um, uh, so like what, how do you kind of react when you, you know, like that lineup comes out and then you see like the flood of social media posts, like, um, you know, throwing these stereotypes on it or being like, this will never work out. Like what, how did, um, yeah. Well, I think that part of what's important to know about that fest is we had no fucking idea what it was. This is the information we had for this festival is our agent said, hey, there's going to be a rock festival in Vegas. They would like you to play it. It's called When We Were Young. And there's a rumor, but our agent didn't know for sure, that My Chem might play. And so we're like, okay, well, rock festival in Vegas called When We Were Young, the killers are throwing it, right? That was our, our thought. We were like, oh, it's cool. The killers are throwing a festival. They're going to headline. My Chem's going to be like direct or co-bill. And like, that's cool that we get to play that. And then suddenly it was announced. Like no one told us it was getting announced. We didn't have any information. And so everyone's hitting me up going, is this real? Is this, re- this is like Firefest? Is this real? And I'm like, I think, I mean, I know we're playing a festival by that name on that date in that city, but I had no idea about the rest of this. And, um, and so I didn't really even have time to like take in people's commentary on it. Cause I was like literally like texting people like on our team being like, is this real or did people know this fest was happening and made like a dream ad mat or something like the way that people make like their own Coachella's or, or whatever. Um, and so that was kind of my initial thing was like, you know, I, I'm just trying to find out if this is legitimate, <laughs> like if this is legitimately the thing that we signed up for. And then, you know, I'm excited. It, it, it also, the other thing is it sold out so fast that like, you know, normally like when a, fe- when you're playing a festival, but most festivals, don't sell out because they almost can't. There's just so much, but it's outdoors. So the capacity is like, I don't know, whatever. Right? As long as there's enough toilets, just fucking keep selling it. And so, um, you know, it's not like we've needed to be like promoting it actively. It's like, it's sold out. So I, I almost forget that we're doing, when you were like, you guys are playing a, a festival coming up and I was like, oh yeah, it's for lovers. Is the thing that was going on in my head when you were oh, asking right. the question. Mm-hmm. So I haven't given it a lot of thought, but like, do I, I feel the same way about people's commentary on the genre as I do about genre titles, which is just that it is out of my control. I'm mm-hmm. just going to make the songs that I think are good and that I think our fans want to hear. And if people like those songs, specifically the people that are the intended audience, then that's a win. And um, I just like, don't have the time or space to concern myself with like, whether someone thinks it's nostalgia or, you know, um, novel. Sure. That makes sense. Um, And I think what's so appealing about the Wonder Years to so many people is like, you never really grew out of anything. You just kind of grew with everything, you know, like, I mean, I feel like, um, again, like, I mean, your Twitter handle used to be TWY Pop Punk. Like it was like, um, and then people are expected to grow out of Pop Punk 
for me, I'm like 31. By the time I heard the Wonder Years, I was already expected to grow out of pop punk. But I'm like, here's this band playing this music that I grew up on and love, writing these lyrics that are still relatable way past adolescence. Um, and I think that continues to be the case with the band. And I think like it's a big reason that like, you know, you've kind of secured this longevity and like. Sure. I think that like part of it is the, you know, that's definitely part of it is the goal is to not make things that are like reductive um, or like um, just kind of redo the shit that we've done. Uh, Lyrically, I think that it is like dishonest to keep writing the same thing over and over again or from that same perspective. Um, and I've kind of always felt that way. Even when I was much, much younger and not to speak ill, like these there's artists that I love, right? Like I love these bands. So I don't, this is like a really hard thing to do because it's going to sound like I'm talking shit and I'm not, this is just mm-hmm. how I was feeling in high school. Is right. that, like I remembered, uh, that EP, the dashboard confessional put out after, um, places you come to fear the most. And there was a song that was about like passing notes in like middle school. And I was like, my guy, aren't you like 26? Like, I, I just thought it was like, I, it just felt like, and I, and I get it now, like, right. Like you can write songs about your past, but at the time I felt like pandered to, and that probably was not the intention. Like I, I shouldn't say, I, I don't mean to say like Chris Crabb is a bad lyricist or like, sure, that's a bad song. I just like made a note at that really, really early. that I was like, I was always going to write lyrics that I felt like were what I needed to say at the time and not, what I thought would be expected of us because of like past performance, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And so that was like kind of the goal was like, every time we write a record, I I would like the people that came on board because they felt like I was writing songs that like spoke to them at 26 to now feel like I'm writing songs that speak to them at 36. That that's, that's what I wanted to. And I don't think that you have to shift genres for that. Um, it's just kind of about being like honest about where I am in life and telling that through the lyrics. Yeah. And I mean, I think that like has always come across, I think it's obviously the case on the new album, which is your first since becoming a father of two, uh, and themes of fatherhood are all over the record. And, uh, I think like, I think it's so powerful too, because you open up about the anxieties that come with fatherhood. Uh, like on Wyatt's song, which is named after your son, you sing, I've never been so afraid at failing at anything. Um, on the last song, you're the reason I don't want the world to end. You talk about the anxiety of trying to raise children as the world becomes this increasingly terrible place. Um, how, tell me how it's been to kind of confront this stuff as directly as you do on these songs. Now all I can think about is how guilty I feel for uh, making fun of that Dashboard Confessional song. It's, like, oh, it's honestly a good song, too. <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm saying that out loud. Um, sorry, what was the question again? I heard. No, it's cool. It's cool. Just give me the I, last sentence of the yeah, question again. I'll um, get out no. of my own head here. <laughs> I get it. I know what you mean um, about you know, not wanting you, who would want to offend Chris Caraba. And um, I just don't like to criticize. <laughs> I just like to let people make the art that they make. I just wanted to say, like, it impacted how I how I thought about writing lyrics. For sure, yeah. I think I think it's you know. I it think taught me a lesson is, about what was not for me. Yeah, totally. And like you know, 
I get totally get what you're saying. Okay, I'm um, sorry. I'm out of my head it, now. I'm out of my head. Please give me the last sentence of that to- question totally again, cool. and I, I will listen intently this time. Totally cool. I fully get it. Um, you know, I was just saying or asking, like, so tell me about, like, how, like, again, this is this new record, like, you, you sing about fatherhood, you sing about a lot of the anxieties that come with it. Tell me about, like, how it's been to kind of confront this stuff as directly as you do on these songs. Well, I think that it um, started in therapy, right? It started with, like, I had, we had Wyatt, and, um, you know, as soon as Allie's maternity leave was over, it was like, okay, well, it's, it's me and you, baby. Like, it's just, it's the two of us all day, every day, and I just get deep in my head. Um, and just kind of overthinking everything. Am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? Like, and so I started um, going back to therapy and kind of talking through, like, why are these things making me feel this way? And uh, I ended up doing kind of an audit of like my life and my childhood and um, kind of really trying to understand where a lot of these like reactions and emotions were coming from. Um, understand what it was that I was really afraid of. And, uh, it, and it was the goal was just to be a better dad, right? That was like, I just wanted to make sure that I was doing everything I could to be the best parent I could. And so that's, that's what was happening in my life. And then like, uh, it's just like, that's how we make the music we make is like, whatever is happening is what I'm going to end up singing about um, just kind of naturally. And so that, that's kind of how it evolved from like, it started with like a process of trying to understand it better and more fully to be, you know, the best parent I could be to, to my kids. And then that kind of extrapolating out into that the art being my outlet and the songs being my outlet. Like that's just where I'm putting all that energy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you also kind of like, e- even on the record, there were moments where you're clearly singing about yourself being introspective. Like there's the line where you, you sing like, I don't like me. Um, like how, how does it change? You've talked about mental health in the past, but how does it change to grapple with this internal stuff when you're also like, well, now I'm responsible for two other lives, but just, I still have the internal just, stuff. Yeah. It just adds the pressure. I mean, and that's kind of the whole point of the record is like, is answering that question. How do you care for these people? Like my kids need me and they don't care if I'm having a, a, a blue day, right? Like, I mean, they do, if they see that I'm sad, they want to give me a hug, but like they will still need their dad's attention and I need to figure out how to, to parent through that was kind of like the the big piece of it. And then just like trying to let them understand, I mean, that, that piece of that song of me just kind of like feeling um, very down and defeated and dark and, and being like, it, but it's not, it's not you, right. It's about me. I, and, and trying to figure out how I can let those two things coexist right? Like is you can't stop those feelings entirely, right? If, if, especially if you like, I don't know, look at the fucking news. It's just this constant deluge of darkness. And um, despite that, like, it's just like, oh, are we like maybe living through the end times? Huh. But also someone's got to make my kid eggs. <laughs> so you got to <laughs> be able to do both. Um and it's, it's not easy. There's no easy answer to it. It's just kind of like when you have to do something, you do it. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, another thing about this new record that really stands out to me is its relationship with death. Um, as you say on the song, songs about death, you've been writing songs about death for a very long time. Um, but this time you say, I gotta stop. And on Laura and the Beehive, you sing, I'm writing songs that tell everyone I love them while they're still here to sing along. What influenced this new outlook? Well, I think part of it is like the, the difficulty I mean, some, not every night. This is, this is the thing that I, I try to express to people. Is like some nights you can perform and compartmentalize a little bit and, and, and sing a very sad song and perform a very sad song, honestly, without totally opening the wound back up. And then there are other nights where you just can't. And um, that's like a difficult thing. And, and a thing that I've ruminated on all the time. And I thought before this record, like, hey, maybe I don't want to do that again. Like maybe I don't want to like set myself up for that um, like constant reopening, but I, you know, I did, <laughs> I can't help it, mm-hmm. but um, I have been thinking about my grandma and I've been thinking about um, she had this like, just a, like a little scare. Like a, it was in the hospital and, and she ended up being fine. But I was thinking about like, Oh man, like someday I'm going to have to write like a, memorial song because again like that's how i process things and then i was like why someday right like why should it happen after she's gone shouldn't wouldn't she want to hear it (laughs) wouldn't that be nice and so i just fuck it let's write it let's write it right now um was the intention there yeah i mean i think that's like relatable on so many levels for so many people right like i mean even like you know i write about music and we're always thinking like oh one day like this hero of mine is gonna pass and like what am i gonna say that you know and like obviously it's different if you actually know the person but um you know it's just like sometimes you're like why wait for that yeah exactly what was the there's a book that i read like early college tuesdays with maury maybe are you familiar with that? I'm trying to think. I, that might be the title. I'm going to Google it in real time here. Um, but it was a, a book about like, kind of like, yeah, it was someone with ALS and they had like a funeral for the person so that they could hear the nice things people were going to say. Like they had like a, mm-hmm. oh, still alive funeral. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, uh, knock on wood, my grandma's in good health now. She's good. And that's right. Right. That's awesome. I'm going to go spend uh, a whole week with her coming up and, um, so it's not, we're not in dire straits here, but, uh, it's still, it's still nice to be able to, to play that song for her. I, 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 we had like a rough mix and I got to play it for Christmas last year. And it was a kind of a special, special thing. That's awesome. Um, so on another song on the album, um, on Lost It in the Lights, you sing, what if the magic's gone? Is that wondering at all? Like, what if that day comes where the wonder years just don't have it anymore? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the point of the song is I was thinking about career arcs. Um, and I Mm -hmm. think that like, it can be very easy to, and I have seen other artists get like almost like angry towards the end or, or like bitter, um, as they realize their career is like winding down and thinking about like how I could be anything but grateful because like there's just like logically no reason this should have happened. There's a lot of times where I'm like, 
am I, is this real? Like, is my fucking life real that I get to do this thing um, for a living, for all of these people to commiserate with all of these people? And so like, I wanted to make sure that I like express that like, when the day comes that we don't get to do that anymore, the only thing I will feel towards those people is gratitude, right? Like I, I understand like people can't come to every show anymore, right? Like, gotta, like it's a Wednesday night and you know, I got to get my kids to school in the morning or whatever, people getting older. And like, we're very lucky that our shows, I mean, the last tour we did was our biggest tour ever. Um, very lucky for that. But like, we understand that it can't go on forever. And that was just a song to kind of express like gratitude towards that. So it's, it's, the the full line is what if the magic's gone? I guess I should be glad that there was any at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a super healthy attitude to have. Yeah, I just we love doing it. We loved having the opportunity to do it um, and to have been able to do it for this long. Like it has been my full time job now for almost fourteen, thirteen years. Um, and we've been doing the band for 17 years. It's uh, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, I feel like even like as I get older, like I have especially recently been thinking a lot and really appreciating like bands who pull off longevity. Because when I was like a kid, you know, it'd be so easy to be like, this band sucks after their second album. You yeah, know, and it's absolutely. like, you're, right. I absolutely <laughs> like, remember doing that. And now I'll go back and listen mm-hmm. to those records and be like, fuck, that record was so good. I just mm-hmm. wanted to have a dissenting opinion to have one. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's so much pressure to be like, you know, like appreciate a band in their youth, find the moment where like you're so convinced they fall off and like that's the cool opinion and you want to be accepted. You want people to be like, wow, they're smart. They like know things about music. Like they know that this band is bad after album two, you know? Yeah. Um, And then like, I also then get almost because I have that, like that snobbery that was like drilled into me as a teenager. Like if I'll, I'll, you know, I'll see myself being like, wow, guys, like you listen to that like eighth album by that band that we like 20 years ago, it's really good. And then I'm almost like, am I now like the out of touch aging person who like is obsessed? You know what I mean? Like instead, I mean, I, this is an, uh, an opinion that apparently is not shared by a lot of people, but probably I believe should be tidal wave. One of the best taking back Sunday records, top three, easy, <laughs> you know, like, and that's like what mm-hmm. their eighth record, like, right. Um, I think that that's like totally possible. The, the new get up kids record is fucking awesome. It's really good. Problems really, really good. And it's, you know, I think I'm, I'm trying to appreciate that more. Um, but I understand too. There's a, like, for some people, there is only, space for so many albums from a band in their lives mm-hmm. um, and even bands that i love like really really love like i fucking love the mountain goats i have not spent time with all 26 or 27 <laughs> mountain goat right. LPs. i just say i don't have the time for it um but the ones that i love i really treasure and like whether you're like oh yeah uh greatest generation is one of my favorite records ever i didn't i don't know i don't really follow it past that or whether you're like every record is the whatever it is. If you ever liked the band, I'm appreciative. Mm-hmm. For sure. I also feel like I mean it's weird, right? Because like with any craft in life, you'd like to think the more you do it, you get better. But then with music, we're like 
like you don't you don't see it happen with film really you see like actors in their 80s getting like prestigious awards for their latest film and then like people are like oh no like surely that person's songs will be bad after they turn 27 you know <laughs> like and and i really do think that we've gotten better but i also can say that there is something special about the mistakes that you make that turn out to be beautiful when you're learning how to do it. Like Mm -hmm. when you just like, don't know what the fuck you're doing. Sometimes you can stumble into some like really special magic. And like, you know, some artists are like, once they really know what they're doing, that it's hard to get that back. Um, And I felt that about some of our stuff too, where I'm like, man, like not so much when I'm writing, I'm really happy with it. But sometimes I will listen to old stuff or like when we were getting ready for the upside suburbia tour and I'll be listening to a song and be like, man, I would have never thought to do a structure like this now um, mm-hmm. because it happened so by accident back then. And so there's definitely something about that magic that comes with, um, with just like not knowing constraints. And so there are none. Do you ever like hear a song you wrote 10 plus years ago? And are you ever just like, wow, that's really good. I cannot remember the headspace I was in at all when I wrote it. Um. Maybe I haven't thought too much about that. I usually do have a pretty like weirdly good memory for this kind of stuff and like Mm -hmm. how these songs came together and when they came together and what space we were in when we started writing it and, um, you know, mentally and physically. Like I remember a lot of like, Oh, I wrote this sitting at this window. Okay. I wrote this sitting on this roof. I wrote this sitting on the, you know, in on a bike, in a shower, whatever. I have, um, I don't know. Pop quiz me. I'll see what I got for you. Give me one of your <laughs> songs. I'll tell you if I can remember it. Pull one um, out of the catalog. All right. Um, my thing is I'm bad at remembering song names. <laughs> um, I love Spotify. This is one of my favorite. Yeah. I love playing weird games like this on podcasts. I did the Billboard podcast, and I was mm-hmm. running through some touring history. And he was like, dude, you know this too well. And then he started pulling up shows, and he would just tell me a date and a city. And I'd be like, oh, the venue was this. This was the set list. We closed with this song. Oh, man. All right. So um, this party sucks. Uh, upstairs at my dad's old house in the bathroom um, is where like the most of that song came together in the shower, uh, the side bathroom. Then I remember showing it to the band for the first time at Josh's parents' house. Um, upstairs living room uh and matt brash said i didn't know you could write a song like that because like i didn't know how to play guitar really before that i I remember feeling very like like touched that he thought that it was good wow that is like really impressive the amount of detail like it's like the opposite of the sort of um assumption in my question the first time we played it live was uh, at the moose lodge in doylestown in the small room for some reason at a show that such gold played and after the show, we asked Devin from Such Gold if he would fill in on drums for Kennedy for the fall tour that year because he was going to be finishing school. Those are my memories of writing Smarty Sucks. Wow. All right. You want to give well, me another one? Yeah, let me give you one more. Um, all right. Um, Summers in PA. Summers in PA was uh, upstairs at, again, my, my dad's old house, but in my stepbrother's bedroom because I had moved out before we started writing that record. Um, and then I was kind of between tours and didn't have a place to stay. And uh, kid was staying at his dad's place. So I was sitting in this like uh, half furnished bedroom with an acoustic guitar 
and I had a different idea for it. It was also the same night that the Out of My Feet verse got written. Nice. Um, sick. So, uh, stupid that I can do this. <laughs> no, it's like really impressive. Um, we could probably go all day, but I, I'm going to return to the new record. Um, so again, we're talking about like that career arc and stuff and like, you know, and I think the new album is for many reasons, yet another step forward for the wonder years. Yet there are also these callbacks, right? Like you have the, the Cardinal sequel, uh, the Madeline character from the greatest generation on oldest daughter. Um, what was sort of reconnecting you with these older songs when writing this record? Um, I think part of it was, well, okay. So it's multifaceted for sure. Um, part of it was that we had made this decision when we were going to write this record. I, I was kind of, it's, it's partially a pandemic thing. I'm totally inside of my head. What are the wonder years? Like, who the fuck are we? What are we supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to sound like? Like this total existential crisis of like who I am, who we are, do we have any value? Because like so much of it for me is derived from playing live. I just think that we are a live band and we are like the most ourselves on a stage in front of people. And that is the way that the music is meant to be um, performed and digested and heard. Right. So I'm having this kind of breakdown about it. And I called one of the guys from our record label and just said like, I don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what to fucking write. And he was like, I don't understand. Why can't you just write a one year's record? And I was like, what does that mean, man? I don't know what that means anymore. And he was like, well, spend some time and think about what it means. Because he's like, the thing that you don't realize is the thing that we talked about earlier, which is a thing that I don't like to say out loud because it sounds, um, maybe it sounds like conceited in a way or, but like when we say like, oh, the way that I felt about the Get Up Kids is the way that people feel about us. He was like, there are a lot of bands that like you are their main influence. So you don't have to like go find some far flung influence to make a new record, like make a record that sounds like you. And so I was ruminating and, and not like a derivative of what you've done before. Like don't photocopy a photocopy. You can make new music that is the genre is the wonder years. And so I was ruminating on what, what that is and like what it is that we do in my opinion, better than anyone else. Like what are, what are the things that like are like hallmarks of what we've done? And like the callbacks are kind of one of those hallmarks. And then also after every record we put out, I give it like a year and then I go back and try to like listen critically. Like what could I have done better on the last record? And like the two things that really stuck out to me with Sister Cities that like I, I almost forgot about when we were writing them was connecting it to the rest of the catalog through like lyrical through lines in that way, like the intertextuality of it and writing to perform it live. Because for the first time ever, we had in-ears. And so we were able to write with in-ears in. And you could really hear everything. And we were spending so much time on like sonic texture and like all of these new things that we could do that we didn't have the opportunity to do before because you couldn't hear it when we were writing in the practice space. Um, I couldn't even really even hear myself singing unless I was screaming. So I couldn't do anything different. And we, we were, you know in a lot of ways forgot about like making live moments in the songs. And so like, those were two of the things I really wanted to concentrate on this record was making sure that I did those um, in a way that felt like, again, like honest, like, I, didn't, I didn't want to do it dishonestly and I didn't want to do it in a way that was pandering 
Um, I wanted to do it in a way that was real and like a logical extension of the work that we've done before. For sure. And this kind of, so you let me know if I'm projecting here. Sure. Um, but um, like from my perspective as a listener, I feel like Sister Cities, I feel like was like before earlier in the conversation, we were talking about genre. And I know you're, you were sort of saying, you know, like that's not even necessarily like how you might look at it. But I, I feel like for me, like for a band who, when the Wonder Years first took off, so associated so specifically with pop punk, and you sort of progress over the years. And then to me, I feel like Sister Cities was like this firm departure. You did it with Joe Ciccarelli. You had previously done your records with Steve Evitz and Joe's work with like U2 and Elton John and stuff. And I feel like stylistically was very much like, you can't call this a pop punk record. Like you'd, you'd be wrong. It wouldn't be what it is. Like you'd be like, that's not what style of music is. Um, I think it's a great record. And I feel like it's this necessary departure. Like it has to happen for the wonder years to move on to like do a certain thing. And then I feel like on the new record, it is almost like you've re you've like taken everything from sister cities, but then be like, we can reconnect with no closer to heaven and the greatest generation. It sounds to me like the band who made, all of the previous Wonder Years records being like, we had to make that departure, but we can also connect with our past selves and hear it all is at once. Is that like totally my like fanfic version? No, or I think that like... you're not too far off. So as far as Joe Ciccarelli goes, like he made, he made me and everything to nothing. It's so like that. It was mm -hmm, that Manchester yeah. orchestra record that made us want to work with him. Which um, like, I, that's amazing. You say that because like, it might've been the first track on the record. I was like, they did this because of me and everything and nothing. Like, just, yeah, it, it, that's yeah, what it was. Like, I mean, we love right. that fucking Manchester record, it's and so good. Uh, and we just we had a budget um, to go talk to some other producers, and we had felt like we heard Steve's voice in our head when we were writing already after making so many records with him. That like we were kind of making those changes before he would even have gotten to do it. We're like, oh, Steve would have wanted us to do this. And so we're like, well, wouldn't it be cool to learn from somebody else? Like we learned so much from Steve, like, and this person obviously has this like massive catalog of successful stuff. And like, let's go try to learn from, from someone else. That, that was the Joe decision um, was to go try to move into, a, you know, to study with somebody else, basically. Um, as far as like sonically, I think that you're right that we did. I think it was in part because we felt like we owed it to people is that like, I've always felt like with every step, with every record, we should take a step forward, like a firm mm -hmm. step forward. Or like another way I always describe it is like, we take the walls of our house and we like push them out a little bit. So we are still the same band, but we're giving you more space. There's more things that we can do that we want to show you. And when we made No Closer to Heaven, I was having some really bad writer's block. And I love that record. I really think that like, oh, it's a, a tremendous record, but it was not the full step that I felt like we had owed the fans. And so part of it was feeling like we, we owe them a little bit on sister cities to like, to try to, to push out. And so, and then part of it was like, just saying like, can we learn new shit? Like we've, we've spent a long time now working with these tools and we're very, we think very good at it. Can we learn how to use new tools? And so basically every time we would say, okay, well, here's this next part of the song. And naturally we do thing A. Okay, put thing A on the table then. Thing A is only now there if we can't beat it. Let's try to think outside of ourselves and try things B, C, D, E. And 
once we exhaust those options, if thing A is clearly the best one, then we'll bring it back and that's what we'll do. But like, let's not just do it because it's the natural thing to do. Let's, let's see if we can find a new way to complete this song. And I think that really pushed us in a lot of ways. And, um, and you're right, as far as like genre tags go, like, again, I don't really care what people call it. Like it just, mm-hmm. it just is what it is. But we felt like there were publications and festivals and opportunities that were closed to us because of the genre tag. And if we could shed it just enough that we'd get those opportunities where we felt like we would be very at home still, then that would have been, you know, exciting for us. Um, but trying to find a way to do that while maintaining like who you are and playing music for the people that want to hear you is like a delicate balance for sure. And then, yeah, when we sat down to write this record, we said, okay, like what are all of the best things the Wonder Years do across the entire catalog? Let's do all of those things, which meant using all those new tools that we, we learned in making sister cities, but it meant not ignoring the other ones as well. Um, and, and trying to make, you know, this is the thing that I keep saying that I'm sure every time I say it, the record label cringes is like, I don't give a fuck if a single new person likes this. I don't care if we make one new fan. I just don't because I love the people we play for. I think that they're fucking awesome. They're the coolest people, like the coolest crowds. Every time we hear every tour from the support bands, from the venue staff, like what a like thoughtful, conscientious, like kind, excited group of people. Like we love having your fans here. I love playing for those people. And so I wanted to make a record that I loved and that they would love. And if that grows us, sure, whatever. But if it doesn't, like I don't give a shit. As long as I love it and they love it, mission accomplished. That's all I really, really wanted out of Hum. And I do feel like, you know, you're talking about being on the phone with the label and they're like, you know, like make a Wonder Years record. Like, I think that's what it is. You know, like, it's just like, to me on this one, like the genre is Wonder Years. Like, I I don't know what else to call it. Jamie was like, I'm trying to write the four fans of for this record. And all I have right now is the Wonder Years. That was so funny when she sent that out. Yeah, she's like, I don't fucking know. And I'm like, well, that's what it is, though. It's for fans of the Wonder Years. It's like, if you, you know, uh, and like Hannah wrote like an unbelievable piece for Pitchfork for it. Just like mm-hmm. one of those things where like what I spent like a whole day with Hannah and was like, well, they are so much smarter than me, so much more talented and such a tremendous writer. And they wrote this beautiful piece. And like, I don't know if people read it and checked the band out. And I don't know if when they did, they liked it. I hope that they did, but it's not my main concern. Mm-hmm. Primarily, I wanted to make a record that people that love this band will love. Yeah. Well, and that the other thing, and I've said it a couple times, and that I love, that's the other part. Right, and like, I think right. that like there exists this false binary with artists and with, you know, um, people in music journalism and with fans and with message board commenters and with every other genre of people within the ecosystem that is this world of music where you could either make a record after your first couple, you can either make a record that you like that will be like an artistic departure and your fans will hate, or you can make a record that your fans will like and it'll be pandery bullshit that you will feel shitty about having made, but you feel like you have to do it for capitalism. And I just like always reject that binary. Like, I fucking love this record and from the reaction we're getting from the fans, so do they. Like it's my mm-hmm. favorite Wonder Years record and I'm getting a lot of that feedback from like our fans now too. And it's like, yeah, because that's totally fucking possible. 
it's totally possible to do that. Yeah, I mean, I I look at somebody like take like Jeff Rosenstock for example. I my, one thing I always say about him is my favorite Jeff Rosenstock record is whatever his newest one is. Like it always just feels like the most honest portrayal of where he's at right now, and it always just makes the most sense that that would be the one that resonates the most in the the present day. And I feel like I very much feel that with one year's and the new record. And Thank stuff. you. And you know, I've, yeah. and with someone like Jeff or like someone like Laura um, Stevenson, like when you're that talented, like, yeah, the next record's probably going to be the best one. Like there's just some people. Um, and it's funny that they found each other and are so close, such close mm-hmm. friends, but like some songwriters that are just that good that like, yeah, like everything they make is going to be tremendously fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's like, it's, it's awesome when you see it. Um, so I wanted to ask, uh, so you co-wrote Wyatt's song with Mark Hoppus. Um, how did you and Mark initially link up and what was that like to write a song with him? Okay. So, um, Mark and I started talking, I think just like on the internet about like football and Pokemon. (laughs) I think it was just like (laughs) kind of both. Like I, you know, I, um, like most people that entered this genre, my entry point was, was blank, right? It was like, uh, I heard what's my age again. And then I had, um, a thing that doesn't exist anymore called flues. It was like internet currency. I don't know, like, I guess the crypto in like 1998, um, that I got given as a gift and, uh, I bought dude ranch with it and then just obsessively listened to dude ranch. And so like, you know, I just follow Mark on socials. I think he's a great songwriter and, um, a funny guy and every once in a while I would comment on stuff, but he would answer. And then he invited me to be on his radio show. And, um, after we got off air, we were kind of like shooting the shit a little bit and somehow it came up with the idea of us writing together. And I was like really excited about the, the possibility of that. And I had this chorus for Wyatt's song. I had a verse and a chorus, but there was something I knew that the chorus like had, in my opinion, the potential to be special us like there was something about it that felt special but i couldn't quite crack the code like i had the first part of it and i had another part and it just like something about it just wasn't quite working and i was like well you know who writes a really fucking good chorus mark hoppus <laughs> so i hit him up and he's like yeah absolutely um he was like do you use like logic or pro tools and i was like my dude i uh use iphone voice memos and an acoustic <laughs> guitar and so we just got on FaceTime and I played him the song and he was like, yeah, cool. Great song. What do you, what, what, what do you want help with? Like, this is the thing is he's like, he's so nice about it. He was like, you don't have to give me anything. Like, I don't need points on this. Like I don't even need credit. Like I just was happy to help. Um, and to get to hear the songs early, which was a really, really kind and cool thing for him to say. But I was like, there's something wrong with the chorus. And he basically instantly was like, well, it's cause you have it going A, B, A, B. And it should be like A, A, B, A, except the second A should be the same melody, but different lyrics. And I was like, oh, fuck. Such a simple answer. And you're right. You're totally right. And so we've, we kind of fixed that up. And then I was like, okay, so do you want to do anything with the verse or the pre-chorus? And he said, if you let anyone change the verse or the pre-chorus, I'm going to be really fucking mad at you. And I was like, awesome. And that, that was all he had to do for it. But it was like the like the little tiny like key to the lock for me the other thing though was it was confidence at a time during the pandemic and again like 
I get so much confidence about the band when I play it in front of people because I'm not like a really big internet person. I don't really like being on it um, as much as I can avoid it. And so like, I'm not getting real time feedback. And so you start to doubt yourself. And so after that, I was like, do you want to hear another song from the record? And he said, sure. And I played him Doors I Painted Shut. And when I finished, he just held his arm up into the frame and all the hair was standing up. And he's like, dude, that song's unreal. And like to have a guy like that feel that way about my songwriting gave me like so much of my confidence back and it kind of unlocked like almost like a floodgate. Um, and after that is when like I wrote a lot of Low Tide. I wrote all of Summer Clothes. Like a ton of the songs to the record just started falling out after like I felt like I could do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess sometimes like that push can go such a long way. Um, so switching gears a little bit, uh, I also wanted to bring up that you do a lot of stuff with cool younger bands. Like I know you recently produced a song for Proper and you work with Future Teens. Um, and there's always cool younger bands on Wonder Years tours, um, like Spanish Love Songs, Origami Angel and Save Face did that last tour and Max Seals on your next tour. Yeah, I just had a Mirror West tour with Carly Cosgrove and Wild Pink too. Oh uh, yeah, I didn't even catch that, but those great bands and then the, the uk leg of that was um band called the nightmares and uh mm-hmm. this band that i'm like totally in love with uh called me rex nice it's members of so, uh fresh and cheer bleeders and happy accidents are all in me rex oh cool i love that whole little oh yeah 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 me rex yeah that that whole like world is so all those bands are good um so you kind of already did it, but I was going to ask, who are some other newer bands oh, that, those, that you like? <laughs> those, yeah, right. Those bands. Those are the ones. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know what? Uh, we were doing Slam Dunk, and um, Hot Mulligan was great. Uh, I love Just Friends. Um, mm-hmm. I, they're, like, a ton of fun, and, like, just, like, kind of the right attitude and the right um, vibe. Um, Future Teens, obviously, we talked about, but Camp Trash is another one that I really like. Um, let me see. Let me look at my Spotify here. I'll let you know. Sure. It's just going to be like podcast about football, podcast about football, podcast about <laughs> football. I played. Oh, Runner. I love Runner with three N's. Um, I was listening to Cloak Dagger. I was listening to Joyce Manor. I was listening to Harry Styles. Oh, you know what? We did an interview the other day with this band from Jakarta, Indonesia, um, a band called Summer Lane. And I just like thought it was dope that they're like building a scene over there. And so mm-hmm. like... I don't know. I think that that would be something for people to check out is Summer Lane. Um, Muna does not need my shout out, but Jesus Christ, is that Muna record good? Uh, John Moreland also does not need my shout out, but that John Moreland record is really good. The new Field Medic song is awesome. The new Wild Pink song is awesome. At this point, I probably said so many things that no one's going to look any of them up, so I'll stop. No, that's all great stuff. Um, I, I actually feel like I wish I heard more people talking about that John Moreland record. I think it's really cool. And I wish I saw a little more about it. I think it's awesome. I mean, to me, like this is kind of that same bias we were talking about where like, I just can't imagine one beating in the throes because it's, it's so special to me, but like throws in the ceiling is really fucking good, man. I think it's actually better than LP five. I think it's awesome. And, And it's like a thing that like, if you are, it, it kind of does a similar thing to runner where it's like, Hey, it's a kind of singer songwriter stuff, but they have these like kind of glitchy, like fuzzed out, like e drum stuff happening behind it. And I, that's awesome. It's like a, a really cool smashing of styles. Yeah. I love that too. Like, cause I, 
Um, I'm, I'm probably a little bit less familiar with him than you are, but I know him to be like an alt country singer. And then I was listening to this new record and I'm like, there's all these like glitchy electronics, which I did not expect. And then kind of went back and heard that there were some of that on LP five too. Some of it's on um, LP five, not much on like high on Tulsa heat. Right. Um, but like, and again, there's none of it on in the throws, but like, if you have some time to, to go listen through an old one in the throws is like my favorite one. And actually, if you have like, like a two song, if you were like, Hey, I have eight minutes, <laughs> I would mm. say use those eight minutes to listen to Oh Julia into God's medicine. I'm going to definitely do that. Um, do you have a favorite album of the year so far? Um, probably Muna Muna. Um, the pool kids record is really, really good. Um, Charlie Hickey is really good. Nervous at night. Uh, you have not heard it or you may have heard it. The general public will not have heard it cause it comes out the same day ours does. But the, the new future teens record self-help is like so fucking good. And, um, I do a guest vocal spot on that. That was really fun. Uh, what else would be up there for me? I guess those are like the top, uh, Carly Cosgrove, their new record is, is up there as well. Yeah. I would say that's, that's like kind of the list at the moment. Nice. Yeah, good stuff. How about you? Uh, ooh, um, I that Soul Glow record is really up there for me. Um, I really love the Big Thief album. Um, I like the Kendrick Lamar album a lot. Um, I just came out, but I don't know if you've heard the new Rico Nasty album, but it is like very quickly inching its way towards like my top five. I'm gonna go ahead and put that down because that's one that I have not heard. What's the record called? It's called uh, Las Ruinas, if I'm saying that right. Yeah. All right. Um, and yeah, it's just like she's like a, a rapper, I guess. But it, the album is like 20 different styles of music. Uh, and it's just all over the place. She sings. She raps. There's like electronic dance beats. There's hip hop beats. There's like punk in the mix. It's just like so much. It feels very like 2020s post genre like i love everything i don't care what you call it you can't yeah. put it in a box like bartiz a little bit too that bartiz yeah like real definitely like in that kind of mindset and bartiz produced that proper record that i did the co-writing stuff on mm-hmm. um and so you know the great american novel by proper is definitely worth someone's time and again if, you, if it's like hey i have time for one song i think that song should be gene it's a fucking awesome and heartbreaking song that proper record is great and bartiz's new record is awesome unreal there's yeah. a couple tracks in a row on that one too, where it's like, um, what is it? It's cosines out of one of the singles. It's just like, damn, it's so fucking good. And like the, the expanse over the course of three songs is like, I've just shifted through like three different like universes of music. Yeah. And he just does it so naturally. Like, it's just like, and, and I've like read so many interviews with Bartiz, uh, and it's always just like, because people are always like, Oh, how do you, defies genre and he's just like i i don't know it just happens when i write songs. i just fucking you know? write songs he's like i don't know yeah. i just fucking write songs <laughs> yeah have you spent any time with that charlie hickey record nervous at night uh i actually haven't heard that one it's really good i think that marshall vore produced um it, and it, it's and on it phoebe out. bridger's label it's right? on satisfactory yeah. yeah um mm. it's good it's um it's in that it's in like the phoebe bridger's extended universe of like Christian Lee Hudson and, and um, like Claude and it's, it's all in that kind of space for sure. Yeah. I'll check it out. Um, so real quick, uh, what you were saying earlier, 
you know, you're like on the phone with the record label and they're like, make a Wonder Years record. And you're like, I don't know what that means. So you've got the Wonder Years. You got Aaron West, the Roaring Twenties. Last year, you put out your first Dan Campbell record. What, as far as like, what what sort of said to you, like, this has to be my name. This can't, These can't be Wonder Years songs. These can't be Aaron West songs. Well, the, the way that they were made was... Um was just totally different because they are literally other people's stories. So it was, you know, the same fear that everybody kind of probably had is just like, okay, well, it's March of 2020 or April, 2020. I have no idea when I'm going to be. I have this, um, you know, at that, this point just turned one year old, um, all these bills piling up. And like, I could, I was like, what should I, should I go try to drive a FedEx truck or something? But I'm worried about getting COVID, bringing it home to my, my kid. I'm like, what can I do? And, um, my manager brought up the idea of like, well, what if you like take commissions, you know, like people will, will hire photographers to shoot photos of their family. People will hire painters to paint portraits of their families or of their pets. Or what if you did like an audio version? And so I started doing these kind of commission songs where like, People could be like, hey, I would like to hire you to write a song for my wedding or as a memorial or as like a, an audio family portrait. And I would spend like a couple hours talking to people and learning the story and like taking like copious notes and like asking for details and like what street was that on? What, what was the apartment number? What color was that car? Um, can I get photos of this? And I would try to like really immerse myself in the story the way that I would a Wonder Years story. And then sit down and work on the song. And it, it was incredible because it gave me a lot of direction too and a lot of purpose in a time where I was like kind of like listless and floating because like what is today and why is it different than yesterday? And like what the fuck am I gonna do? And then Ace Enders would produce them and John Allison Weiss would do art and I'd handwrite the lyrics and it would get printed for them on like a one of a kind, like one of one lathe cut seven inch. And uh one of the couples that I wrote the song for was like, Will you come? officiate our wedding and play the song there. Cause I have my like, you know, whatever certificate to officiate weddings. And I said, sure. And I played it and they were like, I wish that more people could hear this. And I was like, well, I do too, but it's your song really. Like I wrote it for you. And so like, I don't want to like release it widely. And they're like, no, 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 like, please release it. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I wonder if other people feel this way. And so I, I messaged a few of the people that I felt like together, these could be like a cohesive record and said, Hey, would it be okay with you if I, re-recorded the song and did a different version of it, bring in like full instrumentation. I brought in a string section and Ace worked on a lot of it. And Nick Brzezzi played drums on it. Judge and I played trumpet on it. And, you know, Christine Krita did all the string arrangements, Maria M. And, um, you know, basically would that be all right? And everyone's, you know, everyone said, yeah, please. Like we've been hoping you would ask. <laughs> and so I, you know, it, it just, it couldn't be, they couldn't be one of your songs because they, they were about, other people in one of your songs are like very traditional and they couldn't be Aaron West songs because they don't fit into that narrative arc. Um, they had to be their own thing. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I didn't, that's an awesome story actually that like that, that's how it came together. Yeah. I mean, I did, there's another 12 of them. I did like 22 of these songs. Um, and then I did uh, a few for charity where we like raffled them off. Um, for people to, to raise money for bail funds. Nice. Uh, well, before we go, is there anything else that you want to add or shout out that we haven't talked about? Um, I think the tour, probably the, 
Well, we have a bunch of stuff. So we have, we've headline dates coming up. Um, and after years of begging and pleading, fireworks are, are going to play them, which is really exciting. Um, that's one of like, you know, like one of like the standard boilerplate interview questions of like, when you end up doing like 20 interviews in a day at a festival and people are like, who are you again? And they're like, okay, what's your, what's your dream tour? And they expect you to say like, uh, me and Drake and the Beatles. Right. And I'm right. like, I'm always like, oh, fireworks. And they're like, no, no, no. You can pick anyone like alive or dead. I'm like, I know that. <laughs> I understand the question and I would like to pick my friends because I want to spend time with them. Like that's right. That's my answer. And because I think that they're fucking awesome. Um, and so yeah, yeah. Us, fireworks and max seal um, are doing dates um, in October. Um, we're going to announce, I don't know, maybe by the time this rolls out, we're announcing some headliners in November in the UK. And then we have mm-hmm. a bunch of like special festival kind of plays coming up. So we're doing, all three dates of is for lovers. There's a Kansas and a Colorado and we're headlining both of those with Thursday and Laura Jane Grace. And then there's one in Ohio um, that's got like motion city and Bayside and the descendants on it. We're doing um, a show in Allentown at the fair. That's us, the starting line and Charlie bliss that I'm really excited about the starting line are one of those like, you know, really important keystone bands for me. So getting a chance to play mm-hmm. with them again is really exciting. And Charlie Bliss is obviously fucking awesome. We're doing Riot Fest. Um, we're doing the 16th on Riot Fest. Uh, and we are doing When We Were Young. And I'm trying to make sure I'm not forgetting any of them because there's a lot. It's for Lovers, Allentown, Riot Fest, When We Were Young. I think that's all. Nice. If I fucked up yeah. and I forgot you and you're listening to this, please don't dock our pay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Just, I'm just, yeah. If check out the one year's website, all yeah, it's all on there. there. It's all on, yeah, right. There. It's like, yeah, um, yeah. Fireworks. I uh, that is so exciting that they're back. Like they they put that song out in 2019, mm-hmm. and I feel like it was like, all right, this isn't just like a comeback. They're like completely reinventing themselves. Um, and then I saw they when right before that you announced the tour with them, they tweeted like the records coming out this year. I am like. I can't wait to hear it. Have you heard any of the new stuff? Are you allowed to say just demos? I've only heard demos. Uh-huh. Um, and they're, they're great. Obviously they're great. Right. Like they, mm-hmm. I have some demos from, um, from making a common life that like, I wish they would release. Cause like, I love these songs. They're so good. But some of the lyrics got used in like different contexts, but there's like four mm-hmm. more of those songs that are fucking awesome. And the demos I've heard for this are really, really cool. And there's another piece. There's a piece of a song called Mega Church that is in that trailer that they released like, you know, two years ago now. Um, so I'm really excited to hear a final version of that. And uh, yeah, it's kind of like from what I've heard, it is what I expect out of fireworks, which is to like push the limitations of like what people think the genre is and to do it in a bunch of different directions. Like it's not like, because that to Demetas to me is like, there's clearly some like national or like no twist um, influence there, but they don't, it's not like they exclusively follow that path. It's not like they're only pushing out on that wall. They're pushing out on all of them. Hey, so thanks again to Dan. Thanks for listening. Go check out the wonder years, new record. The hum goes on forever out this Friday on hopeless records. It's a very, very good album. I can't recommend it enough. Catch the Wonder Years on tour this fall with Fireworks and Max Seal. And subscribe to the Brooklyn Vegan Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And stay tuned for our next episode.